Welcome to the Freedom House Church Weekend Message. Today, you'll be hearing an exciting message from a communicator on our teaching team. Whether you're just waking up, on your way to work, or going for a relaxing evening walk, we know this message will equip you to experience Christ's freedom today and every day. So enjoy. Freedom House. How's it going? I love that uh, intro there. It makes me want to dance, although I can't dance, so I will spare you that. Well, so excited that you guys are here today, and if you're joining online, welcome. So glad to have you today. For those of you I haven't had an opportunity to meet, my name is Diana Henderson, and my husband and I get to be the campus pastors at our South End campus, way down yonder. Now, for those of you who don't know our story, we've been at Freedom House for 14 years, and we sat on the back row for like six of those, until our senior pastors and some other amazing leaders totally called us out and said, you are not living up to God's potential, and so we stepped in that, and bam, God started doing amazing things. So I just wanted to give it up for our senior pastors, Troy and Penny Maxwell, because they are absolutely leaders of leaders. They lead on the front line. They battle for us. They are absolutely amazing. So you guys saw we are in a series called The Cobra Effect. Turn to your neighbor and just say it. Say Cobra Effect. All right, we've got to get excited because this message is stirring in me. So The Cobra Effect is all about when you try and fix things yourself and then you make matters worse. Anybody ever been there? All right, we got some honest people up in church today. I totally have. Our middle daughter was three, and she came running into the room and goes, Mom, I spilled it. And I'm like, "Uh uh-oh. So I follow her back to the room that she was in. She was in our master bathroom, and we had just had our wood floors refinished in the bathroom. She had spilled an entire bottle of red nail polish all over my newly refinished floors. Then... She decides she's going to try and clean up that mess herself. And so she takes a bottle of nail polish remover. And it's one of those, like, extra large, like the 20% extra size. Ladies, you know what I'm talking about. And it was full. She opens it up, and it spills 
all over the red nail polish, all over my floors that had just recently been refinished. Well, she takes it a step further because she's like, I'm going to try and clean this up myself. And she grabs one of my decorative towels. Anybody in here still have decorative towels? Okay, it is not a thing of the past. My husband was like, what in the world? Why do you have those towels if I can't use them? I'm like, they serve no functional purpose. They are pretty. And that's all I need to say about that. So my daughter grabs one of our decorative towels and lays it on top of the nail polish remover, on top of the red nail polish, on top of my newly refinished wood floors. Now, I'm pleased to say that we were able to salvage the floors, but my decorative towel did not make it. <laughs> my daughter made a mess, and she tried to fix it herself, and she made matters worse. I think we've all been there. So what does the cobra effect look like in 2020? Well, this is what God showed me. God often speaks to me in pictures, in visions, and I got this very vivid, radical vision one day of people walking around like this, like the walking dead, zombie style, and there were hundreds, thousands of people, and I was like, God, what is up with this? And he said, those are my people. They are asleep. They are sleepwalking. And he said, I got a question for you, Diana. I got a question for my people. Are you sleepwalking? 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, be on your guard and stay awake. Your enemy, the devil, is like a roaring lion sneaking around to find someone to attack. Now, after this vision, God said to me, what's happening is 2020 looks like a mess but my people are trying to fix it themselves. And what they've done is they've erected idols in the place of where I should be trying to fix things, but they've made matters worse. Idol worship, that's what God said to me. Deuteronomy 4 verse 15 says, but be very careful. You did not see the Lord's form on the day he spoke to you from the heart of the fire at Mount Sinai. So do not corrupt yourselves by making an idol in any form, whether of a man or a woman, an animal on the ground, a bird in the sky, a small animal that scurries along the ground, or a fish in the deepest sea. Now, this reminds me of the Old Testament idol worship, where they would literally carve an idol out of wood or out of precious metal, they'd slap it on an altar, they'd bow down to worship it, and they'd serve up uh, sacrifices to it. But idol worship, in its truest form, is when we place anything in our lives above God. Anything. What does idol worship look like for us today? I would say this, what's on your mind? What's on your mind? I love this quote in the book, The Coaching Habit. It says, one of the fundamental truths that neuroscience has laid bare, we are what we give our attention to. If we're mindful about our focus, so much the better. But if we're unwittingly distracted or preoccupied, we pay a price. So what's on your mind? Is your mind consumed with the chaos of what we're facing? The fact that our kids are joining school remotely. The fact that we have to wear a mask in public. Longing for a simpler day. Or maybe your mind is consumed with the future. What am I going to 
do in the future? How, who am I going to marry? How am I going to save up for that dream house? Or maybe our mind is consumed with our philosophies, our gender, our race. All of these are idols. Because they consume more of our head space, therefore our heart space, than what God does. Now maybe you're going, no, 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 pastor. Uh-uh. That's not an idol for me. But I would challenge us. If we were to take inventory of our words and our thoughts, is God coming first? So I want to talk about that today, what that looks like. And when I said to God, okay, I see what you're saying, that we have erected idols in your place, but what does that look like? And God said, you've fallen asleep at the wheel. My people are asleep. They are sleepwalking. And so I want to talk about three idols that God unfolded for me. Because, you know, we serve a God who doesn't withhold. Meaning if we ask him, hey, show me what your scripture means. Hey, show me what you mean here. He always does. Now, I want to encourage you that God told me that today's word is a now word. It's a timely word. So I would encourage you, number one, stay awake. And number two, take some notes. Y'all ready? First idol that is causing us to sleepwalk, advice shopping. Advice shopping. What's advice shopping? It's a phrase used to describe the people that will literally ask around until they get the answer that they want. Anybody know someone who does this? I don't be pointing, pointing fingers in church. This might be about anything. Should I quit my job? Should I date this guy or gal? Should I move to this city? And they will literally ask around. You know, I'm totally guilty of this. Because when I'm picking out my outfit, and I've picked out everything except for my shoes, I'll go to my husband and I'll say, right or left. And he will always go for the practical shoe. Ladies, you know what I'm talking about, the shoe that matches. But if I'm in like a trendy or like funky kind of mood, I will go to my four-year-old daughter, Quinny, and I'll say, Quinny, which shoe do you think? And she will always tell me what I want to hear. <laughs> advice shopping can be dangerous, though. You know, as a pastor, I can totally spot the advice shoppers. Because they're the ones that will call me and say, Pastor Diana, fill in the blank. Should I date this guy or gal? Should I quit my job? And I will say to them, what is God telling you to do? And they will respond with the five different sources that they asked before they came to me. And not a single one of them was God. There's a great example of advice shopping in the Bible that I wanted to share with you today. A man by the name of Rehoboam. Now, Rehoboam was Solomon's son, and Solomon came from King David. Now, what's interesting is Solomon in the Bible had upwards of a thousand concubines. Those are basically lovers. And let me just say that is not okay in God's eyes. That's for a whole nother message. But you can imagine, if he had upwards of a thousand lovers, he probably had a lot of kids, right? But Rehoboam was the only named son in the Bible. So we pick up in this story, Rehoboam is stepping into kingship from his, his father Solomon. This is 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 3. So they sent for Jeroboam. All right, time out. Y'all ever read the Old Testament and you're like, 
all these Old Testament names, and they, they start going back and forth, and they can get a little bit confusing. Anybody with me? Maybe, maybe that's just my problem. Okay. Well, I brought some friends with me today that I thought might help us keep these characters straight. On my right here, we've got Rehoboam, also known as Buddy the Elf. Now, y'all are acquainted. Over on my left here, you've got Jeroboam, also known as the world's most interesting man. You've probably seen him in commercials. All right, you got the two characters straight? Good. All right, let's keep going. So they sent for Jeroboam, and he and the whole assembly of Israel went to Rehoboam and said to him, Your father put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. Rehoboam answered, Go away for three days and come back to me. So the people went away. Now, what's happening is Rehoboam was stepping into kingship for his father. And the people are saying, your dad was a tough ruler. King Solomon imposed harsh labor and heavy taxation on his people. And so they're saying, please go easy on us. And Rehoboam decides he's going to consult some counsel. Now, the Bible says seek wise counsel, right? But Rehoboam asks a couple of different people because he's looking for the answer he wants to hear. First group of people he goes to are the wise advisors that used to advise his father Solomon. And this is what they say to him in 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 7. If today you will be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. In other words, they're saying, we understand that you are not your father. You don't have the same relational capital with the people. You can't come in acting like your dad and have the same impact on the people. In other words, they're saying, be a servant leader and you're going to catch more flies with honey, right? So then Rehoboam goes to the second group of people to ask for their advice. This was the young group of friends that he grew up with. His boys, his bros, is that what y'all say? His gang, his posse, like his, his crew, the, the guys he grew up with. And this is what they said in verse 10. These people have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Now tell them, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. My father scored you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. What are they doing? They're fanning his ego. And Rehoboam, is, that's exactly what Rehoboam wanted to hear. Anyone have that group of friends that will tell you exactly what you want to hear? Ditch them. They are not real friends. I love this quote. Cherish the friend who tells you a harsh truth, wanting ten times more to tell you a loving lie. So what happens? Whose advice does Rehoboam take? His friend's. And the very first thing that he does is he sends out one of his servants who is in charge of forced labor, and the people stoned him to death. So Rehoboam hops in a chariot, skips town, abandons the throne because he's scared. And the people appoint Jeroboam king in his absence. Advice shopping is dangerous, especially when you're seeking guidance from someone who don't, doesn't 
or won't have your best interest in mind. You know what I see people doing today? Going to the gram. They're literally scrolling Instagram, Facebook, social media, searching for answers. Now, I'm not trying to throw shade on social media because I love to keep track of what people are doing. But social media is not our source for answers. Amen? You got a problem? I know a really good therapist, and his name is not Mr. Insta. So what's the alternative? Bring your groan to the throne. Bring your strife to Christ. Isaiah 30 verse 21 says, Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, This is the way. Walk in it. You know, God always answers with his best if we would just bring our challenges to him. And i got to imagine that as the creator of the universe, he probably has our best in mind. Number two, idol that's causing us to sleepwalk, moral convenience. Moral convenience. I love this definition. What is right is often forgotten by what is convenient. So we're going to pick up in this story, and we've got Jeroboam. He's now the king because the people appointed him because Rehoboam stepped out. And Jeroboam is having this self-dialogue. Anybody ever do that? Like you're like processing through a whole conversation in your head or out loud by yourself. Okay, I do that all the time, usually in my head because I don't want people to think I'm weird. But this is where we pick up 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 26. Jeroboam thought to himself, the kingdom will now likely revert back to the house of David. Remember, Rehoboam came from Solomon. Solomon came from David. So that's the lineage of the, the authoritative ruler. If these people go up and offer sacrifices at the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, they will again give their allegiance to their Lord Rehoboam, king of Judah. They will kill me and return back to King Rehoboam. Jeroboam is freaking out with insecurity. You know why? Because he thought that if the people were to worship the one true God, that they would go back to their original ruler. He was not the authentic ruler. Who else is not the authentic ruler? The prince of darkness, Satan. All right, take that, put it in your pocket. We're going to come back to it. All right, so Jeroboam, in verse 28, after seeking advice, the king made two golden calves. He said to his people, it is too much for you to go all the way down to South End. I'm going to make these idols right here for you. Here are your gods, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. One he set up in Bethel, the other in Dan. Easy access. And this thing became a sin. The people came to worship the one at Bethel and went as far as Dan to worship the other. Convenience. Jeroboam decides that if the people were to go worship the one true God, remember, they would default back to the other ruler. So instead, he sets up false idols in close proximity to the people to make it convenient for them. Convenience. Kind of an interesting marketing tactic, right? You know, today, convenience is referred to as the next essential of customer experience. When I was in college, way back when, 
it was the four P's of marketing, place, price, promotion, and product. Now it's the four C's of marketing, consumer, cost, communication, and convenience. But here's the issue. When you mix convenience with morality, you've got an issue. Now, convenience isn't all bad, right? I love the Amazon app on my phone. I love to be able to click a button, click another button, and then two days later, the item is on my front doorstep. Amen, Jesus. Or online shopping. I do my grocery shopping online, scroll through, pick my stuff, hit a button, and I can either have it delivered to my door or I can pick it up curbside. Convenience is amazing. But man, when you mix it with morality, we've got an issue. In this example, Jeroboam was using convenience to manipulate the people. He was trying to keep them from spending time with the one true God. You know who else does this? Remember the inauthentic ruler, the prince of darkness? When I read this, God like literally whacked me upside the head and was like, Diana, this is what the enemy is doing. He's trying to distract you from your time with me through convenience. Practical example. When I wake up in the morning, that is my time with God. I spend the first of my day with him. But the moment my alarm goes off, my phone is dinging, buzzing, humming, ringing with notifications from social media, the gram, uh, messenger, my email, all trying to distract my attention away from God. You see, if the enemy can't make us bad, he'll just try and make us really busy. We've got to guard against that. But that didn't stop Jeroboam. He took it a step further. Verse 31, Jeroboam built shrines on high places. He appointed priests from all sorts of people, even though they were not the Levites, which were the priestly tribe. He instituted a festival on the 15th day of the eighth month, like the festival held in Judah, his own religious holidays. And he offered sacrifices on the altar. This he did in Bethel, sacrificing to the calves he had made. And in Bethel, he also installed priests at the high places he had made. Jeroboam developed his own religion. Y'all see this slippery slope? It started with just convenience, and man, it slided into a whole religion. But what does that look like for us today? What's moral convenience look like for us today? You know that hot topic that everybody's talking about at work? I'm just not going to have a voice on that because... I don't want to ruffle anyone's feathers. I don't want to make anyone mad at me. I know what they're saying is wrong, but I'm going to zip my lips. How about pedophilia? Forget the fact that it's morally wrong for convenience sake. Let's just say that it's a sexual orientation. It's like being straight or gay. What? Netflix just released a new series called Cuties, 11-year-old girls twerking. I am sorry, but their target audience is not other 11-year-old girls. Disney just produced a show called The Owl House, and the main character is checking out bisexuality and learning how to do witchcraft. Guys, we, we've got to wake up. We can't become numb to the things of society 
knowing that they are immoral. You know, in the book of Revelation, Jesus was warning the church of Thyatira. He, he was warning them against tolerance because they were slipping into immorality and idolatry. So how do we combat this? I love this scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word as an official messenger. This is for all of us, by the way. Be ready when the time is right, even when it is not. Keep your sense of urgency, whether the opportunity seems favorable or unfavorable, whether convenient or inconvenient, whether welcome or unwelcome. Come on, somebody. This word is for today. Correct those who err in doctrine or behavior. Warn those who sin. Exhort and encourage those who are growing towards spiritual maturity with inexhaustible patience and faithful teaching. That says it all right there. All right, I'm almost done. Number three, idol that's causing us to sleepwalk. Refuting correction. Refuting correction. Now, I know that sounds kind of formal, but this is basically when we no longer have ears to hear wise counsel. This is when we are so stuck in our own convictions, especially the wrong ones, that we've developed an unteachable spirit. You know what the root of this is? Pride. Proverbs 16, verse 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. We see this manifest today in the form of cancel culture. How dare you love me well enough to correct me? I'll just stop answering your phone calls. I'll stop responding to your text messages. I'm going to mute you on social media. I'm going to stop buying your product. I'm going to stop attending your church. Y'all know what I'm talking about? This is dangerous ground. There's an example of this in the Bible. A man by the name of King Asa. And what was happening in this story is he was being attacked by an enemy army. And they were building a fortress around his kingdom. That was an old military tactic where they would basically build up a wall, block them in, and starve them to death. So here's how King Asa responds to this. Second Chronicles verse 16, or chapter 16, verse 2. Asa took silver and gold from the treasuries of the temple of God and the royal palace. And he sent it to Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, who lived in Damascus, with this message. Let's make a treaty. Like the one between our fathers. I'm showing good faith with this gift of of silver and gold. Break your deal with Basha, king of Israel, so he'll quit fighting against me. In other words, King Asa robbed from the church, made a peace treaty with another enemy to try and get himself out of trouble. Didn't bode well for him. Let's read verse 7. Just after that, Hanani, the seer who was a prophet... Y'all like that name, Hanani? I was trying to convince my husband that if we have a fourth baby, like that would be a cool name. And he was like, no. Okay, anyway, so Hanani came to Asa, king of Judah, and said, because you went for help 
to the king of Aram and didn't ask God for help, you've lost a victory over the army of King Aram. Didn't the Ethiopians and the Libyans come against you with superior forces before, completely outclassing you with their chariots and their cavalry? But you asked God for help then, and he gave you the victory. God is always on alert, constantly on the lookout for the people who are totally committed to him. You were foolish to go for human help when you could have had God's help. Now you're in trouble. One round of war after another. So the prophet is going to King Asa and he's like, dude, you messed up. You made a mistake. You shouldn't have done that. How does King Asa respond? I'd like to say that he was like, you know what, man? You're right. I appreciate you. Thanks for calling me out on that and repent from God, right? Nope. He doubled down in his anger. He threw the prophet in prison, and then he started abusing his people. The Bible says that later in life, King Asa contracted a foot disease. It was probably gout that was common at that time. And in that case, instead of seeking God for help, he just goes to the medical doctors. You know what the end of that scripture says? I'm going to read it for you because this is good. Then Asa died. Hebrews 12, 11 says, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You know, King David from the Bible arguably did worse than King Asa. But the Bible says that King David was a man after God's heart. And when he messed up, he would go to God and say, God! Sorry, forgive me, I repent of my sins. And you know what God did? Every single time, he restored him, he redeemed him, and called him son. How are we responding to correction today? When was the last time you were corrected by someone who loved you well enough to say, hey, you've gone a little off course? That comment you made on social media was a little harsh. That conversation I overheard you have at work was not like you. How are we responding to that? Do we have a heart like David? Or do we have a hardened heart like King Asa? So I want to go back to that question After God gave me that vision of us all sleepwalking, he said, are you sleepwalking? And I would beg to answer yes. Maybe we've gotten caught up in the idol of advice shopping, where we don't have an ear for what God is trying to tell us. We already have set in our mind what we are looking for in terms of an answer. And we'll hop around until we get it. Or how about the things that are happening immorally in our world? Have we landed on a silent tongue? Are we worried about the outcome of speaking up versus speaking for the name of Jesus? Or have we developed a hardened heart 
or the very people who love us enough to call us out no longer have a presence in our life? Are we sleepwalking? So what do we do? What do we do when we find ourselves in that place where we're like, yeah, you know what? I totally can see myself there. This is what God said to me. He said, Diana, do you know how to wake a sleepwalker? And I was like, nope, never had that experience before. And he said, look it up. So I Googled it. How do you wake a sleepwalker? And clearly I was in a rush because I spelled a few things wrong. But God said to me, Diana, you use a loud, sharp noise to wake a sleepwalker. And then he brought me to Matthew 24, 31, where it says, I will call on my angels with a sound of a trumpet, and they will gather my elect from the four corners of the heavens and the earth. You see, 2020 might look like a mess, but I think God is using 2020 as a wake-up call because we have fallen asleep at the wheel. Leave us there. But here's the thing. He will send his angels to retrieve his elect. But if we are asleep, if we aren't vigilant, if we aren't praying, we'll be like the five virgins in Matthew 25 whose lamps were empty with oil. We've gotta be awake. Will y'all stand to your feet? I wanna read you this scripture. First Thessalonians chapter five, verse six. So let's not sleepwalk through life like those others. Let's keep our eyes open and be smart. People sleep at night and get drunk at night, but not us. Since we're creatures of day, let's act like it. Walk out in the light, daylight sober, dressed up in faith, love, and the hope of salvation. I just wanna take a moment, our worship team is gonna lead us because I want us to make a loud, sharp noise with our own voices to say, God, I reciprocate. I hear that you are trying to wake me up, that you are trying to revive me for what you are doing. So we're just gonna sing this. And I would encourage you, sing it from the top of your lungs as an acknowledgement that you hear God speaking.
by some idols. I've erected things in the very place that my king should be. There's no shame in that. Because every single time in the Bible, when somebody would repent, when they'd say, yeah, my bad, God would welcome them home. And I just want to give you that opportunity right now. If that's you, will you just lift your hand? Nobody's looking around. This is just between you and God. And I want to pray for you. If you feel like God is saying, wake up, will you just lift your hand right now so I can pray with you? Thank you, Jesus. Hands up all across the room. That's where God can move when his people surrender and say, I hear you you can put your hand down all eyes still closed if you're in here you heard that we are to receive salvation maybe you're saying I'm not sure what that means well there's a man by the name of Jesus Christ who paid the ultimate price to die for you and me so that our sins could be forgiven and he extends a gift of salvation in exchange for one simple yes this gift does not come with strings attached. It comes in response to a simple yes. If you're here today and you wanna make that decision to receive salvation from my King Jesus Christ, could be for the first time or the hundredth time, will you just lift your hand right where you are? I wanna pray for you. There's no shame in this, no one's looking around. Thank you, I see your hands. I see your hands, thank you Jesus. Father, thank you that you love us so much to send a word to wake us up amidst our slumber. God, I thank you that you love us too much to leave us exactly where we are. God, I thank you right now for the humble hearts that are in here that we're willing to say, yes, I've wandered off course, but God, I'm back in line and focused on you. Father, I just pray that you bless their socks off, that you do a work in and through them like nobody's business, that you rejuvenate their voice, that you sharpen their hearts to be a tool to be used by you and God I know that you're working even now and I thank you for that I thank you for the hearts that are in here that made a decision to follow Jesus today whether for the first time or the hundredth time I know that heaven rejoices I can literally hear the sounds of heaven rejoicing father your word says that if we confess with our mouth believe in our hearts we will be saved that simple I thank you for these hearts I thank you that today their salvation is secured and all heaven rejoices father we love you we honor you we declare that we are awake and this is all in the mighty name of Jesus Christ everybody said amen amen amen, amen. thanks for tuning in if you enjoyed this message, we encourage you to spread the word. Share with your friends and family on social media and make sure you subscribe to hear a new message every week. Really love the message? Well, we wanna hear from you. Make sure to leave us a review below. Want more Freedom House content? Follow us on Instagram at Freedom House and subscribe to Freedom House Church on YouTube. We hope you are equipped to experience all that God has for you this week and we'll see you for our next Freedom House Church weekend message.